Hi, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Up on our site, the Ringer has just published their first ever fantasy football rankings. Our NFL experts, Danny Kelly, Robert Mays, Danny Heifetz, and more, rank and analyze the top 150 players in 2019 with printable and mobile cheat sheets to take with you wherever you're drafting. To check out our rankings and for more preseason coverage, listen to the Fantasy Football Podcast or head over to theringer.com. What's going on, jabronis? It's Pitch Mr. Perfect, Skylar Aston. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. First battle season one champion, Mike Long. The king of sad stop. The Silver Lake heartthrob. It's Troy Kirby. It's Nick Mundy. This is your real WWE superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks. Hey, this is WWE superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I'm Shinsuke Nakamura. Zach Linder. Dan Black, a.k.a. the Gufaraja. I'm AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening. You're listening to. You're listening to. You are listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to the Masked Man Show. The Masked Man Show. The Masked Man Show. The Masked Man Show. Welcome to the Masked Man Show. I'm your host, David Shoemaker, and this is a very, very, very special mailbag episode of the Masked Man Show. I'm joined here, as always, by my Hill producer, Jim. Yeah. And in spirit by the one and only Brian Dipperstein. (laughs) 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 I've heard it's very popular on the internet. Yeah. (laughs) People just turned it off. He's here in spirit. Boo. Morons. I had no idea I had the the, that I was enough of a baby face to get a heel over uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on, on Twitter. Um, Dip is the best. Anyway, uh, we get Survivor Series this weekend, and I realized very quickly that it was going to take a giant-sized episode just to run through the card, and I was like, well, what are we going to do? But maybe we'll just do So I said, let's just do a mailbag episode, and hopefully people ask questions about the matches, and we'll get through most of it that way. Um, before we get into the SummerSlam... Um, Harley Race died, which is uh, really sad. Um, health had been failing for a while, but it's this is one of these like quintessential pro wrestling stories um, where uh, his 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 final. I mean, his death. I mean, when when eulogizing him, the thing that keeps getting brought up is not his death so much as his like previous near death experiences. <laughs> um, he was in a near fatal or potentially like actually fatal car wreck when he was uh, just newly married, newly young in the industry. His wife died, his pregnant wife died in the wreck. He was, as the story goes, pronounced dead, dead at the scene and, and somehow survived. He was later in another car wreck where uh, he almost got his leg removed or was that the same one? Yeah, I think that was the same one. And, and the, the, the the story goes, the promoter like threw himself in front of the doctor and was like, don't amputate a thing. And he somehow recovered. Jesus. Um, but he did go, he was in another near, near fatal car wreck later on. And, um, yeah, he, he went through a lot. Uh, and that's part of the legend that really, you know, made Harley race. But also the way that we know him is, is like one of the toughest guys the industry's ever seen. And there's a real practical element to that where it was just like, you know, it was him and like him and Haku were like the two, <laughs> the two legendary like scarily tough dudes. Both kings. Um, both kings. Yeah. There you go. Um, I think those are the two that like Andre was supposedly like scared of in real life. Ooh. Um, Harley Race was also, I believe, the first person to, to body slam Andre the Giant. Oh yeah. Um, in real life, didn't it, not Hulk Hogan, guys. Right. Did you uh, drop that truth bomb in the documentary? Yeah, I think you did say that, right? Yeah, or Meltzer did. Somebody. Did. I mean, it was it was it was in there. But the uh, yeah, but he had obviously Andre had been slammed before WrestleMania three. Um, though they WWE sort of you know painted over that fact. But Harley was one of those guys, man. Harley was you know had this. He 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 started off as like a legitimate farm laborer, uh, and that's kind of how he got back toward into the biz. Um, there's a great piece that we published in the Ringer by. Oliver Lee Bateman, um, that you guys should go check out if you haven't already um, about Harley. But he was one of the absolute best. And I mean, wrestling, it's, this is a cliche, but wrestling is just full of cliches. Uh, but I mean, honestly, there's, there's no 
single image that's more evocative to me in the history of pro wrestling than that overhead shot of Harley Race and Ric Flair on that light blue NWA mat spattered with blood the night that Flair won the title. Race was just absolutely one of a kind. Um, I, look, I went back and listened to a bunch of his promos because he's not like he, he's regarded as a as a great promo in some quarters, but he's not like on the list of, you know, your Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair's. Um, but he had that. I don't even know how to how to put this into words. He was like proof of the thing that wrestling is missing now because he wasn't The Rock, you know, he wasn't Stone Cold Steve Austin, but he had confidence when he spoke. He had just been he had had enough reps or something that he could just go up, he could get in front of a mic and and he had this sort of combination of of. I mean, who who would it be? I mean, it's, there was a little bit of a little bit of Jake the Snake, but with a little with a lot, you know, more of a gravelly. I mean, maybe a little bit of an Austin-y sort of delivery, but it was it just wasn't. It was just very plain spoken. It was that old NWA style. Of, mm-hmm. He opened a wrestling school. There's there a great piece from early two thousands in the New York Times about the wrestling school he was he had opened. Uh, he was running and and. Um, he was sort of refreshingly open about the business and, you know, compared wrestling to dance and all this kind of stuff. But and about, you know, wrestlers are like their own band leaders. A lot, a lot of really cool quotes in there. Um, I encourage you all to seek out. I think it's leaked. leaked. It's linked in the Times obit, if I remember correctly. Hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, the New York Times obit. <laughs> This is such a minor thing, but such validation. <laughs> There's a correction at the bottom of it. This is an earlier version of this obituary misspelled the surname of the professional wrestler who, who earned a series of tag team titles with race. His name is Larry Hennig, not Henning. And I, I only point that out because I thought that Kurt Hennig's name was Kurt Henning for uh, most of my life and um, <laughs> or definitely through all my childhood. And I w- will go to my grave uh, I guess this, that's a bad turn of phrase for right now, but I will for my entire life insist that I saw Henning on on screen graphics, like in in WWF. I think so too, or at least at least in the AWA, or like like back on those ESPN, like you know, late night wrestling things or shows. Um, yeah, I don't know if that was just they kind of made it easier to someone some somebody in the in the booth was like, yeah, nobody knows what Henning is. Let's make it Henning. That's what everybody says anyway, or if it's just a mistake. <laughs> um, but anyway, that was a, a funny little bit. But anyway, it's a, the the um, you know Harley was not a big. I mean, he, he obviously his his uh, claim to fame was mostly in the Midwest, St. Louis territory. Not a big New York Times guy. I mean, not a big New York Times guy. Not a big Northeastern guy. Um, and so doesn't quite get the you know sort of institutional respect he he might. But he but he was sort of adopted by w, the WWE, um, which is funny because there's that legendary story about. When when they were first getting going, Vince and Hogan back in the Hulkamania era, rock and wrestling era, whatever. I guess before that, they they went to St. Louis and and uh, and they were running a big coliseum and and the NWA promotion that Harley was a part of was running a smaller place across town. And Harley just like showed up in the locker room supposedly with a gun and like pointed at Hogan. All right, um, <laughs> it's like get the hell out of my territory because he was a man of tradition. And back in those days, you know, you're supposed to respect the boundaries. But he eventually, obviously, ended up in WWF as the King Harley Race, which was their sort of, um, their sort of odd way, or it was kind of their way to make him be to to put him over as like the legendary world's champion without actually having to put a belt on him or right. without having him. You know, he couldn't come in with the old NWA belt or anything. Right. So, and and they didn't particularly want to acknowledge the NWA, so they did that. But he he busted himself up on a ringside table somehow and had to have surgery, and that sort of ended his ended his run. But he was a fixture backstage in WWE for the entire last chapter of his life and was sort of legendary. I mean, just as a, like everybody that worked for WWE would say, you know, would talk about when they saw Harley back there, just like sitting in the back, often by himself in catering, like smoking cigarettes, you know, putting people in headlocks and crushing golf, I mean, uh, bowling balls with his bare hands. Um, that didn't really happen, but that was the sort of, I mean, he was just like a, he had like the, you know, the greatest hand strength in the history of wrestling supposedly. And, um, anyway, absolutely one of the best, so much fun stuff on YouTube for him to go back and watch on the network too. Um, but definitely his pre WWF run was, you know, the peak Harley race and, and, uh, and, you know, he was a, he was a really integral, like transitional figure from, 
the old NWA like territorial days to the modern era. And, you know, the transition from him to Ric Flair was just an incredibly important moment and just the sort of welcoming of modernity in a lot of ways, even though Flair was a lot, was very traditional in his own, in, in his own right. But, you know, Harley was, Harley was a direct line from, you know, the Briscoes and the Funks and stuff. Um, but anyway, go watch your Harley race. Appreciate your past. He's one of the all-time greats. We get SummerSlam. Obviously, SummerSlam is this weekend. Got a ton of stuff. Got an NXT show, obviously, and got a, and have a SummerSlam card that's so big that they blew off Sami Zayn versus Aleister Black on SmackDown. Um, it was it's already it's already spilling over preemptively. Um, so yeah, the card is ginormous. So many good matches. So many things to be excited about. Um, yeah, got a lot to talk about. Let's do the mailbag. Cool. All right. First up, Leo the Legend asks, why did it take so long for the WWE to realize that they can't put two old wrestlers in a singles match? I think he's referring to Goldberg and Dolph. Them putting yeah. Dolph in there rather than someone old. Yep. Uh, why did it take them so long? I mean, I think they knew it. I think that the, I think that we're in a, a very the sort of legends matches that we've been getting the past few years are a very specific breed of legends matches, right? I mean, there is no. I think we did we talk about this recently. That I mean, we I, I've joked in the past about how wrestling should have a seniors tour. Yeah. Um, and and it would be great because there's all these dudes. I mean, obviously there's legendarily dudes like Jerry the King Lawler who still wrestles on the weekends, you know. And his but his his uh his gimmick. I mean, he just goes out there and does punches and and you know plays to the crowd and, and he doesn't, he doesn't do the pile do, driver anymore, does he? I don't think so. But he but he doesn't he doesn't have to, you know. I mean, you kind of get you can get seventy five percent of the enjoyment just by doing you know working a really light uh, style mm-hmm. and you know that's kind of been wrestling history. I mean, people kind of get get it get evolved out of of mainstream wwe or, or nwa or whatever for for and then they you know there's been a lot of guys that went and worked the indies from you know high level guys all the way down to your like tatankas and stuff you know and doing the clan all the various doinks and everything else um and <laughs> alabama doink <laughs> <laughs> uh and i but but i mean and the problem with doing a seniors tour, because I think the WWE can make a shit ton of money just like sending like, you know, the legends out to work silly shows on at like fairgrounds and stuff. Um, the problem with that now is that like nobody ever retires except it's like the case of like Hulk Hogan where you just can't do it anymore. Um, and not just that they don't retire, but you see these guys like, I mean, you know, the Batista and Triple H and even John Cena. I mean, these are guys that 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 in another era might be Look, being looking, I mean, looking at a senior tour if it really existed, right? But the but they're still viable. I mean, these people are in ridiculous shape, and so you can look at somebody like Goldberg and just be like, he looks like he did when he was a superstar. I mean, when he was a headliner, um, and you expect nothing to change. But the thing is, a lot of stuff has changed. So all of that is to say, I think that when you, I mean, when you're booking something like the Undertaker versus Goldberg, the idea has to be, you know, this is a match that we want in our library this is a one-time thing that'll just seem like a huge moment more so than them having separate matches against current guys will even though there's an argument you know obviously for them putting over the current guys but they're not current wrestlers they're they're throwback but the i guess the undertaker is an exception but these are just kind of one-offs and it doesn't mess up the current storylines to have them fight each other and it just you know it seems like a cool moment but yeah it's a terrible idea it's a terrible idea um do you think the WWE could accidentally turn itself into the senior circuit by having yeah. some of these guys? You know, I mean, I don't they know that. Are. I just don't know. For I mean, from a cost perspective, I don't know that it'll ever be. It'll ever make financial sense to have to to pay what it would take to get all those legends back on a relatively full time basis when you have this like huge, you know, very cheap army of people just bat, you know knocking down the doors to get into the business. Um, you know, you're always going to have to have people, you know, under underpaid people making up the bulk of it just to just to be able to, you know, pay bills or whatever. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I, it, Ham and Eggers. with with the pressure that they're going to be under from two from dueling networks in the fall and, you know, ratings sliding and stuff like it wouldn't right. like anything's possible. But I don't know why it took them so long to figure it out. It makes a lot more sense. And, and, and you know, we're going to get all the thrill of the Goldberg win 
on SummerSlam. By the way, that's my <laughs> official pick. Goldberg <laughs> beats okay. Dolph Ziggler. Yeah. Although, who knows? I mean, maybe Dolph Ziggler's... Maybe we really are angling towards the Ziggler-Shawn Michaels match at WrestleMania or something, and this is, you know, they'll give Ziggler... Be good. Put Ziggler over. I don't know how... I mean, that's the problem with these Legends matches, is that when they're not fighting other Legends... I mean, Goldberg versus Undertaker, at least you go in with some question as to whether or not... I mean, who's going to win, right? I mean, is there anybody that thinks Dolph Ziggler's going to win on Sunday? It's sort of a fait accompli, just because, because you, you find it hard to imagine that they would... I mean, it's like any any match with somebody like Goldberg could be his last match, and you kind of want him to, you know, be able to have a little victory lap. You're saying it could be Goldberg's last match or his opponent's? No, Goldberg's oh, last okay. match. Just make I sure. know there's the old going out in your back thing, but there's also like if it's Goldberg versus Dolph Ziggler, the, I think the assumption is let's let's cheer with Goldberg one more time. Okay, but who knows? Dolph could pull out a, a sneaky victory and then get speared afterwards, and we still get the celebration. Nice. My do pick you, is Goldberg. Do you think um, Missouri Doink ever was in Alabama and then Alabama Doink pulled a gun on him and <laughs> the bang flag came out of it? Anyway, um, moving on. <laughs> what was that old video? There's that, you know, there's that video online that I think Rosenberg was the, was like the, was in the booth for the <laughs> indie show in like New Jersey where Doink and uh, Matt Bourne Doink and, uh, and, um, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, like both his old men, got into a real fight. No, I haven't seen oh, that. You got to go watch Sounds that. Sounds amazing. It's one, of, it's one of the most disturbing. Oh. It's basically like watching a snuff film, but it's it's a uh, it's <laughs> Jesus out there. Christ! Is it like USA Hacksaw or Canadian Hacksaw Jim Duggan from his late Nitro days? <laughs> Did <laughs> only USA? I saw a clip of that Canadian Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I had no idea who that was. I'm like, who is this guy? He had the short hair, clean cut. And he was like pro Canada, really strange. Anyway, it was like at the end of the Nitro days. All right, let's go to the next question. Here's a good one from Adam LL. With John Moxley having better matches in the G1 than he ever did oh, in yeah. WWE, what current superstars do you think join him in AEW or Japan over the next year? I thought that question was going to go to what superstars do you think would have better matches in G1, which I thought would have been good too. Well, I think a lot of people would have better matches in G1. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just the style is is obviously different. The the platform is different. If you talk to WWE guys, they insist there's not a WWE style like Seth Rollins. I mean, and I remember talking to him before, way before he sort of sort of the com- he had the kind of company man uh, reputation that he's re- that he's achieved over the past several months, but. Um, you know, they'll insist there's not a WWE style, right? And um, they can do whatever they want. And, you know, nobody's telling them not to do moves and blah, blah, blah. I definitely think it's the case that there's a lot less of a prepackaged style than there was five or 10 years ago. Um, a lot more opportunity to do stuff, uh, to, you know, kind of show your, show what you can do. Um, but there obviously are some restrictions, and some of those are, tele, you know, TV-based, and some of them are... Uh, because they have the same people, you know, booking the matches and stuff like that. There's going to be a lot of similarity. Um, but I, but I also think that there's some people that are go- that 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 can't that fail to adapt. And I don't mean that as a knock on them. That, that some people whose styles have a harder transition. And one would have thought that it would be somebody like Seth Rollins, who did a whole lot of high flying stuff and Ring of Honor and stuff like that. But it turns out it's more. I mean, it's someone like. It, I mean, it, I guess it just boggles my mind that John Moxley couldn't do what he's doing now when he was with WWE, because he's not doing a ton of stuff that's like that you never see in WWE. Mm-hmm. He's just given he's just been given the opportunity to tell stories in the ring more, and to I guess I guess there's a lot of like your character wouldn't do that talk in WWE when there probably doesn't need to be and stuff. But anyway, he's he's fantastic. I, I mean, I ever I love I've loved every match I've seen him in. Um, but there's a lot of people who, I mean, who could conceivably go, I mean, end up in Japan. I think the the the, the big one, and I I said it a while ago, but I'm not the only, I'm definitely not the only person that said it. But is is Rusev? I mean, he could be just a a, a monster in in Japan. Um, mm-hmm. And I think his contract's winding down. He was great as a monster when he was first mm-hmm. killing John Cena. Uh, and he's and he's so agile, he's so talented. Mm-hmm. I mean, then you have to look at the guys who were like you know, kind of underutilized and just like wildly talented. Look at guys like Buddy Murphy. I mean, he would be, he could be, for all we know, Buddy Murphy is Kenny, is as good as Kenny Omega, you know, given the opportunity. Wow. 
I mean, he's in, he's insanely talented. He's not there, but like, you know, if he got to spend 18 months or two years like wrestling against people of that caliber with that schedule, I mean, who knows? But yeah, I think that, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of people would do a lot better. I'd be, I mean, a lot of people who I'd love to see. Even just like, I'm just looking at the SummerSlam card right now, like people who I'd be like actively interested to see in Japan. I mean, obviously Finn Balor, we have seen. And so, and we know the answer is he's better there. What about, um, what about Braun? <laughs> just being a monster. Uh, I mean, Hogan, over there. Hogan, Hogan had great matches in exactly. Japan. So, Vader. I mean, maybe, maybe Braun could too. I mean, yeah. no. Uh, Braun is no Van, big Van Vader. That's um, true. That's true. Seth Rollins would be fun to see what he what he could do with the handcuffs off, or just you know, just trying to prove something over there. Oh, man, there's been a lot of thinking about Randy Orton lately. A lot of people have been trying to imagine what that's what that would be like. Uh, but obviously, I mean, just looking at the car. I mean, just looking at the people who are like on TV this week. I mean, there's like Dolph Ziggler would be awesome to see. It'd be really interesting to see. Um, you know, Aleister Black, uh, even Roman Reigns. Hell, uh, I would love to see Xavier Woods. That's 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 my that's my that's my pick Xavier Woods I don't know why I have a good feeling about him all right next one um if CM Punk were to sign with AEW would you have him debut it all out or wait until the first TV show oh that's a great question um man I think I'd wait till the first episode see if you can really recreate some of that Monday Night Wars mojo and I know there's no Monday Night Wars although they might be running uh, aid, I mean, uh, uh, NXT at the same time, but um, the big thing about the Monday Night Wars is that you would like call your friend and be like, "Turn it on right now." I wonder if they, can, I wonder if they right. turn it on right now or could like, still work. Or you tape Nitro and I'll tape Raw. Yeah, you know, like if you couldn't watch full channels. But I do. I bet. I bet that would. I mean, it's even maybe even more so than ever because social media and everything else, man. If CM Punk just walked out to open to open the first episode. There'd be a lot of people rushing to TVs to flip that shit on. Mm-hmm. I'd save it for the TV show. Why don't they bring Tony Storm over? She's a star in the making if she isn't one already. Tony Storm, I mean, I don't know the answer to this. I know that at some point, I mean, a while back, I talked to some people in WWE, and part of the issue was that, she, um, I think I said this on the show before, but she had like an ungodly number of indie bookings. And when they, you know, when they sign, when they've been signing people, Especially NXT UK, at least for I know they're, they there was they've been kind of trying to, you know, uh, mess with the competition over there since. But when when they were signing people, they were letting them finish out their their bookings, and because she was like one of the top, if not the top, uh, female worker in the continent over there, that she was just booked like into the in like twenty years into the future, um, not literally, but she just had a ton of bookings, and I think for you know some of that is that she's got a lot to do she might be done with that now she's a i think she's a huge star in the making the other thing is that she's really young and um despite you know traveling the globe and working and everything else i think that uh i think they're being we don't hear about it a lot but i think that wwe's developmental system is you know tries to be a little bit careful with some of the younger talent that they have you know and not just like number i mean i think she's mature enough from everything that I've heard, I mean, but she's like by by years she's young, um, you know, and there's 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 years there's there's you know literal age and like you know maturity or two kind of separate things. But I think that in general you'll see, you know, there's a reason why, and it's not just because of their because of the you know rep. There's a reason why, um, you know, Alistair Black cycles through NXT in just like seemingly a matter of months and Velveteen Dream's still down there. And I think that's the sort of thing that that's sort of, you know, whenever that question comes up, that's something to think about. All right. Next question from Marco. Given the amount of matches, will SummerSlam last until Survivor Series? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I like that. All right. David. Why do you think every Tuesday since Bischoff has been put in place that there have been reports of Vince ripping up the script and then it end up being a good show? Is Vince that good or is Bischoff starting to work the wrestling media? Wow. That's a really good question. It does seem like a weird... I mean, it seems like it is every week that we hear that Vince has ripped up the script and that they've been good. 
I wonder if they're just trying to because the, of all the bad heat, all the heat Vince was getting with fans for like rewriting scripts all of a sudden that they're just trying they are trying to like make them look good. That's a yeah, really maybe. good question. Um, but it, and it is a very Bischoffian sort of thing to like work the dirt the dirt sheets and whatever. I don't know Bischoffian. I don't know. I think I that, like that. Um, I just think that there's a. I mean, I, I think for as much as we as as much as we as we have a window into the backstage of WWE, I think that there's just chasms that we don't understand, and there's probably varying degrees of Vince ripped up the script. Um, probably what it means more than anything else is that Vince is like, uh, like he really cares about SmackDown right now, maybe more so than he has. I mean, not that he didn't care, but like maybe, I don't know. If you want, if you want to do a conspiracy theory, I'd be more, I'd be closer to like, he's doing rewrites on the fly to like impress Eric Bischoff or not, not impress, but to like, to like make it clear that he's still involved and that he still matters. Right. Um, but who knows? That's totally extrapolation on my part. I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. All right. From Matt Johnson, where did Seth Rollins as a baby face go wrong? Brock Lesnar will be treated as a babyface on Sunday without WWE intending it. Yeah, you think it's the love angle, with Becky? Well, I mean that didn't. That voice? was the, that was that was the end. <laughs> his voice. I mean, yes, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, uh, I got this, I got a bad voice too. It's fine. Um. Yeah. No. I mean, the the Becky Lynch angle didn't help anybody involved. Um. Although there were some cool parts to it, I wish that if they were intent on doing it, that they had sort of maybe gotten another voice to in the room to contribute to that one um this isn't specific to, to him but the, the tough thing about underdog stories is that what do you do when it's over right what do you what do you do when you when you overcome everything like the quintessential underdog story in pro wrestling is dusty Rhodes trying to beat rick flair and the answer was that dusty Rhodes never got a run with the title you know, I mean, it would be it would like mm -hmm. the, it would be the victory, and then the dusty finish. The Flair would get the, the title back. Like there, there was nothing for him to do with it, and and Dusty was aware of that. Um, it's tough, you know. I mean, you kind of end up, and I think that in general, WWE makes the big mistake of thinking there's going to be some sort of victory lap or whatever, and there's not. You just got to get right back into booking, um, and you got to get right back into making things interesting because. You know, Seth Rollins trying, I mean, what, what made Seth Rollins super interesting leading up to WrestleMania was wondering whether it was, it was, had very little to do with Seth Rollins. And Seth Rollins is fantastic. He is a A-plus performer and he's been carrying WWE, uh, you know, for, for a long time. But what made that angle interesting was the, the, the question of whether or not Brock Lesnar was going to finally, with the Brock Lesnar era with WWE was going to be over. The sort of, that was the meta thing, you know? And then there's also the meta the meta issue of like Seth you know, Seth Rollins just not being Roman Reigns, um, and then you know he wins the title. It's a really cool moment, and all of those all of our kind of various hopes are wrapped up in him winning. And then he wins, and well, you know everything that buoyed us that far is gone now. So what do we, what do you do? Well, I mean, a feud with Baron Corbin is probably not the answer. <laughs> he put over. He got Baron Corbin over. I mean, he helped that. He helped Baron Corbin a lot, and that's the thing that a champ has to do. But man, they needed to do something. They needed to make do something else to keep us interested in Seth Rollins. And the, and and at the end of the day, we just don't have that much attention span for like hoping things get better because there's because there's thirty other guys in the roster that are like internet wrestling community favorites that like we're all begging to be given a shot for the, the shot at the top. You know? Yeah. Somebody did ask if um, they brought back half the blonde hair. Would that help? I made a joke at one point that like that if they wanted to get Seth Rollins over as a heel, this is when he was a, when you know during his heel run, but he wasn't mm -hmm. like you know people were still cheering him, and he did. They had some like DVD thing where he was being interviewed and he had his little like black baseball cap on like cocked halfway backwards. <laughs> oh, right. And I was like, if you want to get him over as a heel, just put him in that hat every day. And <laughs> he wore that hat on Monday, like he did it. He had like oh. a backwards baseball cap. <laughs> like no wonder they're gonna boo him on Monday. I mean on, on Sunday. He did the baseball cat thing. And then that promo, I don't understand. Like, that was the weirdest thing ever. And I would just love to hear, like, Jim Cornette spaz out about how messed up it was. Maybe you would love it. I don't even know. He limps to the ring to prove that he's up for, you know, that he's got, like, what did Paul Heyman say? He's got more balls than brains or whatever. He gets demolished again by Brock Lesnar and then recovers enough to, like, cut a promo in the ring while lying on his side. 
uh, <laughs> which was just really odd. But he and he and it wasn't like he wasn't like it wasn't like a raspy voice like with my dying breath. I'm gonna say I'm still gonna kick your ass promo. It was like he just kind of seemed perturbed. Or he kind of seemed depressed, and he was like, <laughs> "Yeah, wrestling's all I got, and I'm gonna be there on Sunday." And I'm like, I'm gonna kick Ross. I'm gonna beat Brock Lesnar. I guarantee it. <laughs> like he's like he's like it was like I'm reading the script provided for me, <laughs> waiting for a bus. My will. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. Just the the tone. And I I know that they're they, they were going what they were going for was I know I'm gonna lose, but I know this is what I have to say. I mean that is that was the what they were going for, but it was weird, man. And so it'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean they're obviously trying to make you think he can't win. Which would lead you to believe that he's gonna win, um, but I think anything's possible. Anything's possible with Brock Lesnar. My pick for that match is Seth Rollins, because they've been going really hard on Seth can't win, and you know SummerSlam seems like the moment. Mm. If you ran AEW and you could poach three WWE wrestlers, who would they be, and would you rebrand them, and as what? Like change their names? Yeah, I guess so. No, I wouldn't change. Or gimmicks. Well, I mean, it's okay. okay. Like, is there anybody who I think could be more over, like in a like a lucha underground way? Um, what if you just took Vince, Shane, and Stephanie and made them jobbers? <laughs> just made them job out. <laughs> yeah, it's basically what he would do to people. So, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, they're they're, they're yeah, they're they're you may, may be able to make a case for Rusev or even Ricochet, you know, under a mask or something like that, or. Braun Strowman or something I don't know but I, I, w- I don't think that would be in your top three I mean who are my top five for like starting a new promotion I think uh, weirdly I think you don't go Aleister Black as much as I love him just because there's like oh, those other dark I guess he could he could like lead the troop of like those like dark you know goth misfits over there so maybe he would be good I think Kevin Owens would fit in super well but I also think that like as crazy as it sounds, they need more body guys over there. Like they need to look a little bit more like a pro wrestling company. There's a very like Jim Cornette is a villain sort of comment to make. Um, which by the way, I have, I actually have something to say about Jim Cornette and, and Kevin Owens later on. Um, um, if I could have any three guys, uh, you know who I, you know what I would do? I'd probably go through the roster and pick guys who I think are underutilized, maybe a tiny bit undersized to ever like really bust out in WWE, but people who like have, you know, all the talent in the world. So you'd end up with somebody like Buddy. You know what I would, it would probably be like Sami Zayn, Xavier Woods, and yeah, probably Rusev. Oh. It's good. It's good. Those are guys who I think I could get in like an expansion draft. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's your favorite SummerSlam match ever and why? My gut reaction is um, the Rock Triple H ladder match. When was that? SummerSlam 98 at Madison Square Garden. I was there. I was okay. I'm glad that you said that. That match was, I love that match mm-hmm. um, because my, because I'm torn between that and, well, there's also the other ladder match, the, the HBK Razor 2, really the right. second ladder match was SummerSlam, right? And yeah. but but I was torn between I was torn between Rock Triple H and just because I was there for it. Um, you Daniel were there Bryan, too? No, no, no. Oh, I was the one that I was yeah. there for, which oh, is right, Daniel right. Bryan versus John Cena in twenty thirteen. Ah, um, which was just insane. I mean, wow, that was almost bigger than him winning the title. But yeah, I love that. I love that Rock Triple H ladder match. That was, I mean, just. That's be one of my favorite feuds ever, and it kind of just gets better with age, just because I love like both of those guys kind of like post career stories or post prime stories. I don't know. It's just it's, that that match was fantastic. What about the match made in heaven, match made in hell, um, <laughs> <laughs> the wedding, and then Ultimate Warrior holding up Vince for like five hundred thousand dollars and saying he wouldn't go. Out right, isn't that what happened? Something like that. Yeah, uh, unbelievable. I can't believe he did that. And Hogan wanted to like break his legs. He's like, "We will break his legs." What else was really good? Oh, Owen versus Brett in the cage was at SummerSlam. Yeah, yeah. there was a lot of good stuff. Yeah, there was. Do you see any um, matches from this card having the chance at cracking that list that you just read? Dude, off? like half the matches on this card could crack the list. The problem is they're not all going to get enough time. Oh yeah, someone asked how how long you think uh, Goldberg Dolph goes over under five minutes. Under, 
under five minutes, really? In ring under. Yeah, huh. I think they're gonna you know, they'll but, do the full. But if anyone can go longer with Goldberg, I would think it'd be Dolph Ziggler, no? Yeah, but what is Goldberg gonna do? I don't know. That's a good question. Because the only the only way Goldberg <laughs> going, going over five it, minutes yeah. is if he's getting beaten down at some point. Yeah. Unless Dolph Ziggler has like a new buddy that's gonna come out and help him, you know, win. I don't know. I, I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be. Goldberg hits his finishing move, and then Dolph Ziggler loses. But like, if you know, if Dolph Ziggler pulls out a victory, it'll be some like surprise. Well, who was it in WCW that had like the iron plate on his chest when when Goldberg speared him? Bret Hart. Was that? Oh yeah, Bret. Of course. For some reason, yeah. Canyon. Um, but yeah, something like that. But like, you know, I don't. I don't think it's going to be long. We also left off Bret Hart, British Bulldog, in this top. I know. I loved that match for so much of my life. And for some reason, it sort of like faded away in my memory a little bit. I mean, British Bulldog was like my favorite wrestler for a long time as growing up. Oof. You're losing well, street cred. We listen. We're both Davies. Uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. And of course, I love those muscly guys. And, whatever. <laughs> and those braids. Love, man. <laughs> you both had those braids. If I could have had those braids, <laughs> I would have had those braids. A hundred percent. I have to Photoshop you with those braids. Do it. <laughs> Why is it that every WWE pay-per-view card looks amazing, but the builds are just so meh? They just can't seem to make the journey exciting anymore. That's true. I mean, part of it is our expectations are too high. Nothing in real life is ever going to live up to like the like drug of like a WWE video package or like a YouTube compilation of you know Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes dueling promos or you know whatever. And also our expectations for like what happens on an episode of wrestling are really high. You know, like there has to be a big moment. There has to be a big, mo I mean, some of the greatest builds of, of all time did not involve, you know, we're, we're, uh, some of the best builds of all time were like, like 1% as dramatic as what's happened between Rollins and, and Lesnar. I think the problem is it's just like everything, like the volumes turned up so high on everything that like, you know, Roman Reigns getting hit by a car or Brock Lesnar just beating the living shit out of Seth Rollins like it doesn't really rise above the din does that make any sense um yeah. and part of that's just like the company's too big the card's too big you know i mean it, it would if if they really i i don't the, the right answer is not push one match at the expense of all others necessarily but like if that but if they did that if they built the entire an entire month of programming around one main event angle, then it would feel like a bigger build. It feel like feel like a bigger deal. Um, but it's hard. There's they have too many balls in the air, and they've not figured out, you know, really how to how to weave the stories in such a way that that you know, watching five hours of programming over two days, it you know, things really stand out and and seem significant. And there's also you know, just we're so inured to all this stuff. Like we know that. Monday after the pay-per-view, both those guys will probably still be there and they'll just be doing different stuff. So like I don't our expectations are all out of whack. Which non-wrestler celebrity will be the first 24/7 champion? Pete Rose? <laughs> I don't think he's coming back anytime soon. Damn it. Um damn. I have no idea. Just throw out a funny celebrity. Donald Trump. Frankie Munoz. Oh, Donald Trump. I heard of him. Yeah. Um, okay, next up. What do you see happening with the Undisputed Era? Wait, can, Steve, can, I, can I pick Steve Kazee? Yeah. Hell yeah. He, Actually, no. Him. He's dead to us. He hasn't come back on the pod ever <laughs> since, he, since he made people Skyler, magazine. Skyler dead to us? Skyler would be a great 24-7 champion. He's dead to us, too. Until, until he says he'll come back. And then <laughs> we'll welcome him back immediately. What do you see happening with the Undisputed Era once they are called up considering considering Vince has botched so many other call-ups? AOP, Viking Raiders, DIY. Also, if you could create a new faction out of only NXT or main roster people, who would it be? So let's go for the first one first. What do you I've see happening with the Undisputed Era? I can't. I mean, it's not since who? Samoa Joe? I mean, but even that wasn't that big of a deal. I'm trying to think who in NXT has has had as many wrestling fans fantasy booking their move to the main roster. Um, I'm sure there's a million people I'm forgetting. I'm not thinking Do you of. consider the Samoa Joe move a success? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but I think, but, but that's uh, the success. The success isn't, I mean, I'm not even talking about success. I'm just talking about like, literally like every time 
I have a conversation with a wrestling fan and it's like, what do you think they should do at Survivor Series or SummerSlam? What do you think they should do for the, to make the first episode of SmackDown and Fox special? What do you think they should do? But whatever. The answer is always like comes around to like, ooh, maybe that's when they call up the Undisputed Era. And right. yeah, that would be super cool. I mean, part of that is they have to like really put them over. Um, I think more so than almost anybody in NXT, they have to put them over like insanely. Partly because, um, you know, fans who know who they are are going to have super high expectations, and fans that don't are going to need to be immediately convinced. Um, also, they're smaller dudes all around, so like you know they. You know, they, they need to look really dominant. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, oh man. It, I mean, obviously, the, I mean, that's going to be the, that's going to be the success or failure call up that we're going to remember forever. All of the, everything else, all the other failures are going to, if, if, if Undisputed Era doesn't work, five years from now, we're going to be like, that'll be the point of reference. Not all the other people who failed before. I mean, that, that'll, that'll be it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would I would expect. I wouldn't be surprised to see them sooner rather than later. And will Vince botch it like he did all the others? I'm gonna go on the limb and say they won't botch it, but who knows? I think with that, as high as people's expectations are, then like, yeah, no, I mean, it, it might seem like a botch, but we'll we'll see, we'll see. And then his next part of the tweet was, "If you could create a new faction out of only NXT or main roster people, who would it be?" Oh man. God, that's a good question. 100% it involves Cesaro. Because <laughs> whether or not it's like, I mean, what was his little like fake faction that he was running on like house shows? It was like the Sunday Night Mafia or something like that? The main event Muscle Men? Yeah, main event Muscle Men. That's amazing. Who was in that? That was uh, um, EC3, EC3 and Robert Bobby Roode. Roode? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know. I'd have to. This this is a great question. People should tweet in their answers to this. If you could book, if you could book a stable of like three to five people, who would be in it? They can be anybody you want from from main roster NXT. There's so many fun things you could do. Stables are just more fun. I don't know why they don't do it. I mean, I could. Here's a fun question from Derek Lombardo. He says in an extremely Brian Curtis voice, David. Which Attitude Era wrestler would you want to have as a guest on the pod, and what would be the first thing you asked him or her? Wait, say that again. I'm sorry. Who from the Attitude Era would you like to have as a guest on the pod, and what would be your first question? Who is really classless. Would it be really classless of me to say find <laughs> Brian Pillman, and like because that would be the greatest get of all time? Um, wow. He's my favorite wrestler. Oh, man, I mean, everybody from the Attitude Era who's still around is like pretty has been pretty available. Well, he wasn't flying Brian during the Attitude Era, though. No, I know the loose, the loose cannon, cannon. Brian Pillman was like. Yeah. I, I think I wrote about him when I wrote about him. I think I said, I mean, like without a doubt, if he had stuck around, you, I think every time, I mean, I think every mention of Steve Austin would be, I mean, in this counter, in this like alternate history, you, you would probably be saying Steve Austin and Brian Pillman. Just the, those yeah. guys would have redefined that era together. Um, man, I think I still have a Flying Brian action figure at my parents' house. I gotta go find that. I'll give it to you. I don't need any more figures, man. You're taking it, <laughs> whether I like it or not. Uh, if I could have anybody from the Attitude Era, man, everybody's everybody's just sort of been like I think there's no one from the Attitude Era, like the high the the main dudes in the Attitude Era. Have almost all like they either have podcasts or you can go find shoot interviews on YouTube in five seconds. Right. Um, I think you just yeah. Get... I think I think it would have to be the Undertaker, right? Just because I mean he's bigger than the Attitude Era, but he was a huge player in the, in, yeah. in the Attitude Era, and he doesn't give him that many interviews. And um, and uh, I mean in this in this hypothetical thing, does he have to answer truthfully whatever I ask him? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Because I would just start asking. I mean, I would just go all in. I mean, just go in on like, like who did you hate the most <laughs> in real life? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would be fun to ask anybody. But um, I'd want to ask ma uh, mankind. Just be like, when you got thrown off the cage, that was fake, right? <laughs> just like Chris Farley show. <laughs> just like an idiot. 
Yeah. It would be great to talk. I mean, The Undertaker's the answer because he's of all those guys, he's given the least amount of interviews. I mean, The Rock, too, but like I feel like The Rock wouldn't be like particularly incisive about pro wrestling at this point. Um, I would do, I would, I would go with The Undertaker because he'd be the best git and the most interesting person to talk to. But I think this is more of a general question. You could ask more than one person, but I, I would love to hear The Undertaker's thoughts on like if he could pick one other dude from the Attitude Era. Like who, who, who should have been, who was the guy? You know, like if he were, if you ask him this, if you're starting your own promotion question, like if you could only pick Rock, Austin, HBK, I guess, uh, you know, Triple H or Mankind or something, like who would be your pick? Interesting. I bet he'd have an interesting answer. Okay, here's one. I'm enjoying the Roman mystery segments. It's fresh and different. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I wanted to talk about that only because I, I don't, there's a lot of people that are just like shitting on him, shitting about it online, and I, I know that we're as wrestling fans, we're used to like tuning out the noise a little bit. Like, you know, people can complain about something, and it doesn't mean it's the end of the world or whatever. But like, it's the same. It's kind of the same thing as the twenty four seven thing to me. Except this, these segments are better and more interesting. It's like, it, be glad that they're doing something different. Like the biggest, the most re, the most legitimate complaint up to a month ago was like, there's, it's just so much sameness, you know. And um, at least now there's not. I mean, think about like the level of, I mean, it's a sort of campy storyline, I guess, but think about the level of thought. I mean, the level of, I mean, this could be a big act. I mean, I could be giving him too much credit, but just think about the fact that they're like, we're going into SummerSlam and there's not a Roman Reigns match announced. You know, we're going to like, maybe they'll start off the show with him like calling whoever out and like, I figured out who did it. And then we're going to have like an impromptu tag match with like Roman and Samoa Joe against Daniel Bryan and, and uh, what's his name, um, and and uh, Rowan. But uh, regardless, that's interesting. That's enough to keep me slightly invested. And you know, there's a there are a couple of like a couple of surprises along the way. I thought, I mean, I thought it was just really good. And people are all, people are all over the internet complaining that like the car that Roman Reigns was in wasn't actually damaged at, <laughs> in like the later God. shots with Triple H. And it's just like, who the fuck cares? Were <laughs> you under the? I mean. Dude, yeah, dude, that's like saying that's like saying you know that wrestler bled in the ring, but then when I saw him the next night, he only had, he only had two stitches. He had a little bandage or something. It was it's like, like that, on, that Simpsons when Homer's like Poochie and he goes to the convention and like the guy asks the question. He's like, an episode F five nine. Uh, Itchy yes. plays his rib cage like a xylophone and he strikes two different ribs, but it plays the same note. What was going on with that? I hope someone got fired for that. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, when we were talking about favorite, some favorite matches, a favorite SummerSlam moment we just thought of when the Mountie had to go to jail. Oh, my god, That was great. 91. I just looked it up. That was, was when they had the, was that, was that the match where they had the, where they had the, uh, the, what's it called? The, the cattle prod noise, like, like uh, piped in <laughs> over top. Like, yeah, that was in. always ridiculous. So loud and like weird. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so great. Um, all right, let's go for another one. Okay. This kind of relates to the CM Punk question earlier, except it's WWE. Should WWE put the focus back on putting on the best three hours of live entertainment or keep treating those three hours like a TV show? I feel Say like- Say it so again? Should the WWE put the focus back on putting on the best three hours of live entertainment or keep treating those three hours like a TV show? I feel like something has been lost in the past decade in creating an engaging live show for fans to engage with and it shows on broadcast. I don't know. I think, I think, yeah. Um, so my options are engaging TV show or best like, stuff. I guess, I guess, yeah. I, I think I that if you're the doing a three hour kind of weird, but it's like either do you put out the best wrestling product or the best television show? I think you've got to do the best TV show. Yeah. I mean, it's a and have room. Story. I mean, and because don't get me wrong. The best wrestling, I mean, you can still aspire to have the best wrestling in the world under your banner. 
But if you could have those matches on the pay-per-views, if you can have those matches, you know, one have one big match a week, you know, one match that, that could be like a serious five-star classic every week, even that would like help I help uh give identity to the shows a little bit, you know? I think that the I mean, I honestly think that the biggest error that they make is trying to make every moment of a three hour show seem like equally important as the every as the moment before and the moment after it. Um I think that if they ran the first hour, I mean, you know, I was never a big fan of like WCW doing an hour of like luchadors to start off the show or whatever. But like if they did, if they found a way to like differentiate the first hour or the last hour or whatever of the show, I think that like wrestling fans would still be super into it because it would be like an NXT thing or a 205 Live thing. Like you could have something with a little different identity um, or even just have like a gimmick for for the first hour of every of every week, you know, just something to make it seem like. I know, I mean, maybe this is just a personal thing, but I feel like if I if I felt like I didn't have to watch the first hour in order to enjoy the second two, I would be watching a lot more wrestling live on Monday nights. I might be watching all three hours live because I feel like I was feeling like I was given some choice in the matter, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but but also, I mean, but, but just making, but just like having varying levels of significance, it really helps. Like I grew up watching Memphis wrestling where like, you know, they would just have there. It was in a studio the size of like you know my living room, so that's you know that's one thing. But they would just have matches where it'd be just like, hey guys, it's like, whatever. I mean, just the most me. It was it's like Kamala versus a jobber, mm-hmm. and it would just be like yeah. a like a job match, and there'd be like thirty people there, and they'd be kind of making some noise, but not much. And then afterwards, Jerry Lawler would come out and just cut like a scathing promo on Bill Dundee. <laughs> and Bill Dundee would make his way out from the back and they would kind of go nose to nose for a minute and uh, just jaw at each other. And maybe there'd be, you know, some fisticuffs. Maybe somebody would come out and have to make the save, you know, whatever. But like, and, and obviously they didn't have three hours to fill up. But sometimes those squash matches ended up being significant because like, you know, the heel would just beat up on the jobber too much. Somebody would have to come out and, and do something or whatever. Or somebody would do a run in. But sometimes the squash matches like weren't that significant, but it was like if it's surrounded by other stuff that's more significant, then you like it puts the focus on the other stuff. And it also lets you, you know, I mean, see your see wrestlers you like, like do all their moves, which is right. fun. And aside from the Viking experience or the Viking Raiders, it's something we don't, you know, get to see a lot anymore. Right. Um But but to answer the question on a broader level, yes, I've often said this. I said this last week that it's cool that they're giving every every episode of Raw of Raw and SmackDown like a thing to remember, like oh that episode of Roman got hit by the car or whatever. Um, and I hope to, I like to think they're doing that deliberately. But yeah, I, wrestling any show would be much more interesting if like the show each episode was about a thing, and there can be other stuff going on. There can be other matches that don't directly relate, but if every episode is like is telling a story, a con- like a, con- a self contained story, even though it spills out in every direction, that would be more interesting. Hmm. Okay. This is a fun one. From Elliot. Goldberg's match is obviously happening just to let him make up for a disappointing final performance. I guess he's talking about versus Undertaker. What are some of your real life situations where you'd like to be able to go back and do a better version of the way it ended? Holy shit. <laughs> There's a lot of things. Um yeah, no, I'm afraid <laughs> on the grounds of, uh, I mean, I assert my Fifth Amendment privilege on that one. Okay. Isn't it, this comes from Adam Sheehy. Isn't it crazy that most of these matches for SummerSlam have had a max of three to four weeks build? Yeah. <laughs> okay, next question. No, no, I mean, like, this, this goes back, this goes back to storytelling, right? And, and you go, and yeah. I get why they, I get why they're trying to cram every, why they try to cram every card full of good stuff. But when they got rid of the brand split for pay-per-views, I said at the time, this will be a positive if feuds have to like earn their way onto the cards, right? If they, if sometimes the feud doesn't make the card because they're building it, they want to just drag out the build for the next month. We talked about this just earlier in the show. We're talking about why they can't make builds work because we're on this like hard calendar that just like it's also it's also like robotic, right? You like you get into a brawl the night night after a pay-per-view, and then you just like steadily like mouth off at each other for three weeks until the next pay-per-view, and you have a match. It would be great if, like, imagine if some of the matches that were on this card, like, you know, if, or some of the matches that were, like, they had last month just didn't make, you know, weren't on the pay-per-view, and they and then we had, like, a two-month build to, to SummerSlam. 
You know, I mean, at the time, you'd be like, well, why isn't this match on the card? Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably why they do it. But, um, but you know, I mean, they don't they don't give themselves a lot of time. And when they've tried to build in extra weeks for the big shows for SummerSlam and WrestleMania, it doesn't seem like it makes that big of a difference. You know? Yeah. But the one the matches that we care about most on this card, um, you know, Lesnar Rollins, uh, and Kevin Owens, Shane McMahon. Um, AJ versus Ricochet. I mean, these are things that have a pretty long build, or at least you can like read a build back into the backstory of it, right? Even Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton, like, the, like it's the matches that where you can retroactively say, "Oh, this has been bubbling for a while." Those are the ones that we actually care about. Yep. Somebody actually asked, and this is kind of attached to that: um, Is Ziggler versus Goldberg the most random pseudo main event match ever to be featured at a big four pay per view? <laughs> I have no idea. It's certainly not the most random, but <laughs> it is pretty, pretty random. Yeah, I know. For a big four. All right. How about this? Switching gears. What are your thoughts on Matt Riddle versus the old guard? Oh, with him like mouthing off on them online? Yeah. I have not been paying a lot of attention to it. Okay. I'll tell you that. With Matt Riddle not being booked for the weekend, do you see him showing up in any form at TakeOver or SummerSlam? I mean, TakeOver, the funny thing is TakeOver actually does the thing I was just talking about, right? I mean, TakeOver, is, takeover will have like four matches or five matches. And mm-hmm. and if something, if, if you know, one of your top guys has, is not in one of your top feuds, that's okay, right? I mean, you kind of, you're booking for the long term. That said, you know, the last TakeOver where I was at, they like put Matt Riddle versus uh, Cassius Ono onto like, yeah, as like the first match and like a little squashy thing and people went nuts. They can always like throw him out there and like a bonus match if there's time for it. Um, but a hundred percent riddle has, I mean, there's, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to imagine that there's time to do anything surprising on this SummerSlam card because it's just so packed, but maybe, I mean, there's always, they, they can always make time. And I definitely think Matt Riddle might be one of those guys who gets, gets the rocket strapped to his back, but we'll see. Speaking of su- surprises at SummerSlam, someone asked with a submission match in Canada, how much is a take on the Montreal screw job in play for Becky versus Natalia? Um, I was thinking about this and trying to figure out. I could see. I don't know. I don't. The Becky's in a weird spot because I th- I feel like her losing would take a lot of steam out of her, but her winning doesn't really get her that get her anywhere. Um, maybe, but so maybe that would be the maybe way that's her forward. heel turn, right? Huh? It's to turn her heel. I don't know. I mean, they're playing around a lot with it. I mean, just the match they had on Monday night where it was with Becky and Charlotte versus Natalia and, and, um, and Trish Stratus. And maybe that was just to sort of like underscore that Natalia's a heel by having her kind of go at Trish. Um, I get maybe that was the, the reason why they did the kind of weird alignments on that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind that at all. Becky Lynch mm-hmm. turning heel. I mean, they, 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 they don't. I don't know that they need yeah, a full fledged heel turn. Job. They just need to give her some, some of that energy, some of that like fuck you energy back. Yeah, the Toronto screw jab. All right. So yeah, I think that I think that I mean, my pick for that has to be Becky Lynch. But I would, mm-hmm. I'm, I would be very interested for something interesting to happen there. And also, it's like when you're booking Natalia sort of out of nowhere into that match. And obviously, it's Canada, and there's a reason why they're doing it. But like. You know, let the wrestling fans feel like anything could happen. T- take one of these matches that feel like a given and turn it on its head. Right. All right. I think we should. We got a couple minutes left, so let's sh- try to fire through a bunch of these. Okay. Does that sound good? All right. Yeah, we got to run through the rest of the card too. Okay. Over under SummerSlam five hours, oh, including the pre-show. <laughs> I think I over. God damn it. All right. Um. Witnessing the failures of WWE to make Reigns and or Rollins the guy, is there a better option on the horizon or are we destined for an era free of a definitive star? I mean, the Attitude Era had the obviously had the Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, those mm-hmm. guys were huge, but like I guess this era is Brock, no? Yeah, and what the, and what defined the Attitude Era was sort of like those top 6 guys, right? Um yeah. depending on how you count. I mean, you can go all the way to Kurt Angle and we talked about the Undertaker, Triple H, Mankind. I mean, the, it, without without any one of those pieces, it feels like it would not have felt the same. Um, so I don't know that you need like you know you don't need a Hulk Hogan of every era. And then WWE's I think biggest flaw is trying to find one um, at the expense of other at the expense of other people. That said, uh, like is there a superstar that's like just sitting there waiting to be crowned? 
I mean, you know how I feel about Aleister Black. Damn, you know how I feel about Keith Lee. <laughs> uh, I'm, you, I've said before, I'm not 100% there on Riddle, but you know, I think that that's, that could certainly be a thing. I don't know who 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 am I forgetting? Like who could be who could be like the transcendent performer? My favorite people on the roster. It's hard to imagine them. It's hard to imagine them being like as big as Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, well, no um, one's going to be as big as. I mean, Stone and that's Cold why, Steve and Austin. that's and that's why it was so intriguing to kind of frame Becky Lynch that way. What a joke that was. What Becky Lynch <laughs> being the next Stone Cold? Come on, she is. She is. Get the hell out of here. Nobody's Stone Cold. That's sort of the point. But yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> end the podcast. I can't believe you just said that. If there's one, if there's one person that could be as big, I mean, listen, they have some big stars. There's been a lot of, you know, it's not their fault that Daniel Bryan got hurt. It's not their fault that CM Punk left. Although maybe it's kind of this is their fault that CM Punk left. <laughs> um, you know, they're the the biggest shot. It's not their fault that John Cena went to Hollywood. Although that could probably kind of run its course. Um, but those are three like super duper stars that didn't get that are not fair that are not helping carry the load right now and make Rons and Reigns you know look good at their you know. Um, yeah, but they have but everybody. Yeah, the biggest, the, the biggest star. I know I got a lot of shit for comparing him to Steve Austin years ago, and I'm just inviting it back. But like the <laughs> oh biggest transcendent star, like the in my in my, I honestly believe. And I have not thought long and hard about this. I'm just saying off the top of my head. But like the biggest, the the biggest star that WWE could possibly get would be like would be returning John Moxley. Oh, okay. Don't you think if if he <laughs> no. came back, wouldn't that just be just enormous? No, I don't know. And if they I'm, let him, I'm if they were like, please wrestle like you did in the G1. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got a couple minutes left. I want to run through. We didn't get to a lot of the matches on the card. Uh, we've talked about some of them, but let's let's run through the SummerSlam card. This is big, big, big. Uh, one of the biggest nights in wrestling. Um, I'm really excited for this. There's a lot of cool stuff on here. Drew Gulak versus Oni Lorcan for the cruiserweight title. Um, I know you care deeply about this one, Jim. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Gulak. Um, I'm just going in the order of the, of the Wikipedia order here. There's a lot of stuff that's not on that. That you know, there's probably going to be a tag match. There's probably going to be um some other stuff that we haven't that isn't official yet. But anyway. A women's tag match is not on here either. Hmm. Um, presumably, they'll do something with that. But anyway, Trish Stratus versus Charlotte Flair. Um, this is actually this one's really tough. Uh, Charlotte wins. She like kind of owns the era. She can claim to be the person that destroyed the Attitude Era. Blah blah blah. But Trish Stratus is coming back. You know, be a good feel good win in Canada for her. yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Trish Stratus. I don't, I don't know if Charlotte mm-hmm. will ever get her win back, but I'm going to go with Trish. Hmm. I'd go Charlotte. Yeah, that's tough. This is That's a tough one. Goldberg versus Ziggler we talked about, and I think it's Goldberg, but you could book it the other way. Shawn Michaels has been eerily present through this whole thing, um, despite the fact that he's so retired. AJ Styles versus Ricochet mm-hmm. for the U.S. Championship. Um, I think AJ's gonna win this, and uh, but I don't think this is over. Do you th- do you think like uh, how many times have they fought now leading up to this? A couple times, right? Like in tag matches and stuff too. Yeah, but even one on one. I mean, they fought what two yeah. or three times. So if they know that this is gonna lead to SummerSlam, do they save a couple insane spots that they? They know they can pull off like that. They kind of keep in the in, keep in the bag, saving it for SummerSlam. Because I'm thinking this could be one of those all time greatest matches of all time. You know, whatever. Of AJ Styles has had. I mean, and this is not a knock on him. He's so good that AJ mm-hmm. Styles has had a lot of potentially the greatest match of all time matches that exactly. don't always pan out. Yeah, because our expectations true. for him are so high. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I think I think this one's going to be insane. I think yeah. that we're going to see a lot of use of the club or the sorry the OC the other the other two Anderson and Gallows and mm-hmm. um, yeah I think there's a lot of ways that they could have they can have fun with this one. Um, but I think I I, th- I don't think we're done with the club being sort of a dominant faction yeah like let, let him keep the belt maybe we'll finally get the the ricochet heel turn too Ooh. i know it's never gonna happen but i really like the idea of him like 
than like teasing uh, him joining the club angle for a week. I mean, for a month. That could be fun. Mm-hmm. Finn Balor versus Bray Wyatt singles match. This is your lead pipe lock of the night. Bray Wyatt's going over. Finn Balor's going on vacation. Um, and then do you think he comes back to join the club? <laughs> yes. Or Are you being serious? With the club, yeah. Um, no, after vacation. No, I think that he comes back to feud with Bray Wyatt as the demon, but who knows? Um, who knows? I, I find it hard to imagine WWE get, would get more creative than that, but maybe, maybe, maybe they save it for WrestleMania or something like that. And I they mean, do bring he him back. Started the club, the original club. I mean, he did. They he gotta, did. That would they be gotta really cool. get him in it. But it's if Bray Wyatt beats him to. and then he pops back up two months later mm-hmm. without referencing Bray Wyatt, is that? Well, weird? maybe by that point the club is feuding with Bray Wyatt. I don't know. Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon. If Owens loses, he he's, he has to quit WWE. <laughs> now, normally. It's not a you're fired match. It's a I quit yeah. type match. Nor- normally when this sort of stipulation occurs in modern WWE, your reaction is, of course that means Owens is going to win. Owens tried to get Shane to put his career on the line on Monday night too, and he didn't, which, le- which, which makes it even more likely one would think that Shane's going to lose because there's no you know fallout. There's no, he doesn't have to leave if he, if he doesn't. That said, this feels a lot like Kevin Owens versus Jim Cornette in Ring of Honor. And even it complete with the face turn, the semi sort of natural face turn, the, the kind of the fight the power thing. And Kevin Owens got fired. I mean, he was like, I mean, this, it, I'm, the, the, it, there's not a one to one comparison here. He lost a retirement match to Generico, but. The, you know, Kevin. I, I think I think that the interesting way out of the the interesting way forward with this is Kevin Owens getting fired and having to fight somehow earn his way back or force his way back. He could just start showing up even though he's not employed. You know, I think that I, I think that I'm I'm very intrigued by that option. So my pick is Shane McMahon. Okay. Also, it'd be really cool if Kevin Owens came back as El Generico. <laughs> yeah. If, some, if 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 uh, if Sammy's not going to use that gimmick, then he should just let KO do it. Uh, Kofi Kingston versus Randy Orton for the WWE Championship. I feel like this is definitely Kofi Kingston. It would be really weird. It'd feel really reductive to go back to Randy Orton, even for the sake of like drag making this, trying to make this into an epic feud. Um, I would love to see these guys go again, but the storyline here is Kofi has so much more to lose by mm-hmm. losing. I don't know. I think he's got to win. Bailey versus Ember Moon. Uh, for the women's the SmackDown Women's Championship, um, uh, I think this is an upset. I think this is Ember Moon. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, they've kind of booked it. I mean, I, th- I feel like this is. I feel like I mean, this is actually a little bit reminiscent of um, John Cena <laughs> in a very, very different way. I mean, very, very low, low key way. John Cena versus Daniel Bryan because it was just sort of like the I'm going to call you out because I, that's what that you're who I want to wrestle. Mm-hmm. And you know Daniel Bryan won. I think this might be one of those op- opportunities for them to just sort of put Ember Moon over on a huge stage, and then like uh, like snap snap, you have a, another headliner on the women's side. That would be the hope, anyway. Um, over on Ross, Becky Lynch versus Natalia. We talked about. I like the idea of a screw job finish, uh, but I think you know, yeah. And we got to go with Becky Lynch. Some, something to make it interesting, but Becky Lynch is the pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the main event, Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins. For the Universal Championship. I got I gotta go Seth Rollins. Brock Lesnar could definitely win. I would not place yeah, a single dollar on a bet on this, but like <laughs> you know, just he's gotten beat up so much. Anyway, those are my picks. Are there any more questions we need to touch? Did I go through that fast enough? Mm, there's a lot of good questions. Um here's one last one. Will SummerSlam ever compare to South Paul Regional Wrestling's Lethal Leap Year? <laughs> discuss <laughs> nothing will ever compare to that <laughs> great alright man I think we're good alright happy SummerSlam everybody Jim thanks for uh, sitting through all that thank you thank you guys for listening apologies as always to John Moxley we'll see you after SummerSlam humanoids we are desperately out of time the tape machines are rolling we'll see you next week on the Mass Man Show 